Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. And so we're going to talk about Jesus's testimony, the testimony of his goodness, his goodness that should give us a hope and confidence to do exactly what we've been talking about, which is to stand strong in the face of persecution and adversity. I, I tell you guys pretty regularly, you need to ensure that you keep your testimony in your mouth. We've, <coughs> we've been talking since we started here, the idea that we were, but God, I am. I was this thing, but God did a thing, and now I am this other thing, this new thing, this new creation, this new creature. I have a new spirit in me. I'm no longer dead. I'm alive. All of these things happen because Jesus himself has a testimony and gave us that testimony. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. But the power of your testimony, your personal testimony, is so important. It literally says, if Jesus did this, whatever this is, for them, then he will do whatever this is for me. When you think about the weight of that, when Jesus saved them, because the Bible says he's not a respecter of persons, that he, that he doesn't show preference one over the other. Because he saved that guy in his wickedness, in his contemptuousness, he will also be willing to save me and mine. You know, people are dying, literally dying to hear you tell them that. To say, listen who I was. But I'm not that thing anymore. I am this thing. I am the new creature with a firm foundation who has a strong, powerful God that I get the privilege to sit in the shadow of, be covered in the wings by, find shelter in. And you can have that too. I think of Paul and his testimony. The testimony of his life is a guy that had it all physically, met Jesus on the road, did a complete 180, and was willing to, to be beaten and flogged and stoned and left for dead and shipwrecked and all of these things. Why? Because he understood that if Jesus did it for him, he would do it for me. And if he did it for me, he'd be willing to do it for you. This is, this is literally the only reason we're still here. If we weren't intended to declare the gospel, I believe Jesus would have taken us home when he saved us. But we have the testimony we have, the, victor the victorious testimony we have, because Jesus himself has a victorious testimony to give us. And I want to talk about that today, because that's what Peter talks about today. In 3 verse 18, he starts like this. 
He says, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You understand, that's the, that's the whole of the gospel. That's, that's from, from beginning to end, that's the entirety of the gospel message. The good news is in verse 18. But that's not the only testimony he gave us. In verse 19 through 22, he says, In which also we went, he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, everybody say corresponding to that. That's going to be important in a minute because some of us have our theology messed up. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Amen. That is a mouthful. So his victorious testimony in these texts, in these 18 through 22, these five, four verses, declares four truths of his victory. One is the truth of his victorious work in verse 18. That for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Are you all hearing me? I want to make sure you're awake. I want to make sure your ears are attentive. What does all of this mean? All of this declares the magnificent work from beginning to end that Jesus did for us. But before we talk about this, I want to I start with this truth out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're going to go back and forth between 1 Corinthians 15 and this text along with a bunch of other texts, so you might as well just hold on to this page. Verses 1 and 2 says this. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Let me explain to you what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen to me. It's in the truth, the declaration of the gospel, and you're receiving of it, and you're holding fast to it that you are saved, unless you end up believing in vain. He's talking to believers. People are like, why is he talking to me about this, man? I've, I'm already saved. I'm talking to you about this because unless you believe in vain, you're going to have to talk about this. You're going to have to believe this today like you believe it yesterday. You're going to have to believe it tomorrow like you believe it today, which means that every day from the time you never see me again, from now till you never see me again, I'm going to have to declare this truth to you so that you don't believe in vain. But it says very specifically, you receive the gospel. You stand on the gospel. And in that, if you hold fast, you are saved. I'm repetitive on purpose. I'm repetitive because over and over and over again, 
from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation, there's a singular scarlet thread that runs through the scripture that says Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that he died for you and that he loves you and that he became the unjust so that we, the unjust, might become just. That he was killed, murdered, beaten, all of these things. For what purpose? So that we, having heard, having accepted, having stood firm, been found to not be in vain, have our faith in vain. This is the God we serve. And I'm blown away by it because he didn't have to. If it was something he was obligated to by contract, it may be something completely different. But he obligated himself to it by covenant. He said, I'm going to do this thing. And he desired to do this thing for us before the foundations of the earth. Before you were even born, he had a plan to save you. Listen to me, and, I, and I, here I go. I'm being repetitive, but I mean it in its own purpose. In the timeline of eternity, God had an idea to save you. He sent Jesus Christ sometime during that timeline, 2,000 years ago, to save you. You got saved. After you got saved, you sinned again. After you sinned again, you sinned again. After you sinned again, you sinned again. After you sinned again, guess what you did? You sinned again. But you know what? Even though you sinned again, you sinned again, you sinned again, you sinned again, if you live with a heart of repentance, holding firm, hearing, listening, believing, standing firm so that your faith is in vain, isn't in vain, you live in that repentance, that God that made that decision to save you before the foundations of the earth because he's not bound by time, saw you make all those decisions and decided to save you anyway. And so when you, when you think about that, like I, I lose my breath thinking about that. That he saw not every, not every imperfection I had before I gave my life to the Lord. But he saw every imperfection I still have. Every imperfection I'm ever going to have. And he decided at some point in history, that he was going to save me anyway. That he was going to save you anyway. This is something we should tell people. You know? I mean, this, this is something I think the world needs to hear. Instead of turning on CNN, maybe they should just hear the gospel. Instead of hearing about how backwards everything is, maybe they should hear how forward-thinking our God is. How powerful our God is. Worried about our enemies? Worry about your Savior. We don't worry about any of these things. Instead, what do we do? We listen to the gospel. We receive it. We stand on it. And when we stand on it, after having received it, we are sure that we did not believe in vain. This is the reason why I declare the gospel to you, because I want you to understand. I, need, I want me to understand. Can I tell you, I preach myself all the time. I sit in the shower, Angela will tell you, I, I used to take like military showers, like I get in the shower, three minutes I'm out of the shower. But lately, probably about the last year and a half, I'll be in there until the water gets cold. 
And I'm just in there preaching to myself. Just, man, God is good. I don't know, is it something about that water hitting you or something? But I say that to say, we need to hear it. How do you encourage yourself in the Lord? By recognizing that the Lord gave his life for you. How do you encourage other people? By telling them the Lord gave his life for them. So that they might hear it, receive it, stand on it, and not have believed in vain. So all that's preemptive <laughs> to the gospel. I just wanted to tell you why I think it's so important. But these are the truths that are declared in verse 18. That Christ died for our sin. Write these statements down. I'm going to tell you, write this down, write this down, write this down. I'm going to give you a couple of elements of the scripture of the gospel that are necessary in telling the gospel. Did you know if you asked, um, I, well, if I say that, I would, I would say, I would guess that seven out of ten people if asked to declare the gospel couldn't do it. Seven out of ten on average of the people that I ask, tell me the gospel. Start with how much Jesus loves them. He loves you so much, he died on the cross for you, and now you get to live in eternity. They think that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you are wicked. You are sick. You are deserving of damnation and hell. But Jesus Christ died for your sin. Jesus Christ wasn't going to have you stay in that condition. He did everything he did to ensure that you no longer stayed in your sin. So if I'm going to tell the gospel, I'm going to tell them Christ died for your sin. 1 Corinthians 15.3, I'm just going to kind of walk down through this. For I delivered to you as first importance that, also, that I, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to Scripture. Does it get any plainer than that? The only real question we have to ask now is, why would he do such a thing? Because the holy is not going to be in the presence of the unholy. And he wants to be in your presence. And let me tell you, if I walk away from the podium right now and don't say anything else all night, that'll give you plenty to meditate on before, between now and the next time we talk. Why would he do such a thing? Because he wanted to? Because he wanted to spend time with you and he's not going to be defiled by your filthiness? So instead, he erases your sin, dies for your sin, sheds the blood of his holy son so that you might have the hope of eternity? Are y'all hearing me? We're talking about the creator of the universe decided that for some reason, this guy, this pre-Jesus guy, the guy that stayed drunk and partied and chased women around and did all the stuff that I shouldn't do, abused the authority that I'd been given. He said, that one. I'm going to die for that one. You know why? Because if I die for that one, when he's so horribly undeserving of being being having my blood shed for him, then people are going to have to declare how glorious I am. And the same is true for you. People are like, well, I ain't got no testimony like that. You don't, have test you don't have to have a testimony like that. 
You may have got saved when you were five, never said a cuss word, never did anything crazy. But according to the word of God, you're still going to hell. Because according to Romans 3, all of us are unrighteous. We're unrighteous because of the sin in us, not the sin committed by us. We deserve it because of who we are, not what we've done. Now, we deserve it also because of what we've done, but not exclusively. There's no getting around the fact that we need Jesus. You can argue, you can try to negotiate, you can determine reasonableness. Well, no reasonable God would send me to hell. I'm a pretty good guy. Let me tell you, there's an old quote, I can't remember who said it, but they said, when the word speaks, reasonableness should take a knee at the door and stay silent. You have no reasonableness to offer God who died on your behalf. So good. He determined to save us from judgment. He decided to die for us, to come down out of heaven and die for us so that we can be with you. Hebrews 12 14. Recognizing that our only shot at holiness is His holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You hear that? Without sanctification, no one sees the Lord. Sanctification isn't a self-made process. Sanctification is only available through Christ Jesus because he was willing to die for our sin. And this is just a very small piece of what verse 18 says. Not only did he die for our sin, this is the second thing I would have you write down. In his death, he became cursed so we could be blessed. He became cursed so that we could be blessed, which is what it means by brought the exchange the just for the unjust. Let me read Galatians to you. Galatians 3, 11 through, I'm sorry. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. Am I in Galatians? Yeah. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy. Am I at the right? I'm not at the right place. Maybe, I, no, I'm not. I'm sorry. Stay with me. Galatians 3, 13, 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, everybody catch this, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He became cursed allowed himself to hang on a tree so that we might be blessed. This, this text, he redeemed us from the curse of the law. The curse that he became is the curse, the penalty of the law. The law exists for one purpose, Paul tells us. And that is to demonstrate the holiness of God, how perfect he is, what his standard is. 
and to show us, more specifically, that we have no chance of attaining it. The only way we can attain to the standard of God's holiness is by having Christ Jesus become the, blood, the curse so that we can be blessed. He took the curse of the law upon himself, hung on a tree, so that we could stand boldly and confidently and say, I don't have to worry about hell. I don't have to worry about condemnation. I don't have to worry about my sin. All I have to worry about is staying focused on the God that became a curse so that I might be blessed. And we, it's a simple truth, but it's a truth that we need to grab a hold of, that he died for our sin, and in dying he became cursed so that we could be blessed. Could you imagine the blessing? Of being in eternity. Better yet. Or worse yet. Imagine the curse of not. I don't, I don't believe you scare anybody into heaven. But I do believe that the reality of hell should cause us to love a God that desired to be with us so bad that he was willing to take on the curse that we deserve. Think of enough pastors don't say this. Hell is hot. Hell is forever. You're not getting out of there. You're going to be in pain for all of eternity. There's no relief. It's it's horrible. Short. There's no life. There's no spirit. There's no expectation or hope of a better future there. But Jesus Christ came and took on our curse so that we could have the expectation of heavenly eternity. Where God, the God of love, is the light that we have. That love is tangible. That our needs are met. That there's a place at his table for us. I can't even imagine why he would do such a thing. Except that I'm so glad he did. He became cursed so we could be blessed. And he, he did that by the shedding of his own blood. I got into a discussion this afternoon on Facebook with a young man. He asked, he asked about the value of of our Christian, of, of us as Christians. Because I had, I had put on Facebook that your value is determined by God, that God loves you, and that because God loves you, you have value. That value is determined by the blood that was shed for you. If God's willing to pay and give the most precious commodity in all of the universe to attain you, how much are you worth? Well, the answer to that question is you're worth in, measure, in an immeasurable amount. The cross doesn't give you your value. That was the article by which the torture happened. The sh blood shed upon the cross is what gives you your value. So he became a curse by hanging on a tree, by shedding his blood. Because according to the word of God, without the shedding of blood... There's no remission of sin. 
blood had to be shed on our behalf. And the great cosmic God of the universe determined that it would be his blood. And the third thing I'd have you write down is that his blood, his death, was suitable for eternity. His blood and death was suitable for eternity. I'm going to read you, probably in my mind, one of the most, it's, it's probably one of the most thought-provoking texts in Scripture, 9, 11 through 14 of Hebrews. I want you to think about this. I want you to close your eyes and think about this. I want you to open up your imagination. We talked some time ago about how worship is a release of your imagination to God. So I want you to close your eyes and imagine what this scene must have looked like. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having attained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? I picture this. I, my, I've watched too many probably Lord of the Rings movies. but So when he says heavenly tabernacle, he's talking about the holy temple throne room of God. That's why it says it's not made by human hands. It's, it's, it's God's holy throne room. It's his temple. It's, he's, he's liking it. He's making a lesser to greater argument of the earthly tabernacle, which was built by hands. Um, to the greater heavenly tabernacle, which was created by God. Imagine the, the tabernacle, the place that God lives, how beautiful that must be. And here comes Jesus as the high priest, the now high priest, the high priest that makes all other high priests irrelevant. The high priest, the Jewish high priest that offered the sacrifices that slit the throats of goats and bulls, that sprinkled the ashes of heifers to appease the wrath of God for a certain amount of time. Imagine Jesus having shed his own, walking down the center aisle of whatever that heavenly tabernacle looks like, and in his hand, cupped his own blood. And he walks to the Father and says, I've, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've suffered so that they don't have to suffer. Love them as you promised to love them. This is what the this is what the earthly high priest would do. But Jesus did it in real time for all of eternity. He spread that blood on the altar, and God said, 
I accept that. I receive that blood as eternal payment for the sin that they've committed, the sin that future generations will commit. Never again will there never ever need to be another sacrifice because my son determined that we, his son determined that we were so valuable that he gave his own life for us. It just, it messes me up. And then you know what he did? He said, come on now, sit right here. I want you to sit down because the work's done. So that death was for all time. And then finally, the last thing I would tell you is that in his death, the hope of a better future. The fourth thing I would have you write down, in his death, the hope of a better future. I'm going to turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to read a couple verses to you. If there is no resurrection, it's in verse 13. If there is no resurrection, now these are rhetorical statements because there is a resurrection. So everything that's about to be said is actually opposite of the truth. He's doing this on purpose. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. But we know Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is also in vain. But we know that our preaching isn't in vain and our faith isn't in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses except that we're not, because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. But in fact, the dead are raised. And he continues, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sin. But we're not still in our sin. You guys understand where I'm coming from? You understand what Paul's saying here? He's saying only if the resurrection wasn't true, all of these things would be true. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all, we are all men most to be pitied, except that we're not pitied because the resurrection is true. And he says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So all of this, in all of this, we have a hope that all of these things are true, that our faith isn't in vain, that it isn't for nothing, that we aren't still in our sins, that death has no sting according to later in that same chapter, that, that the enemy holds no power or authority over us. These are the truths. But then not only that do we have this hope, he gave us his spirit according to the last part of verse 18 so that we might have the seal of this truth, so that we might be able to bear witness within ourselves of this truth, that we belong to Him, that we do have a hope. It's the reason why if you truly get into a time of prayer and meditation, your spirit gets riled up. Like, you, you ever been praying and you're just all, hmm, I'm feeling it. If you haven't, you're not praying right. Because the Spirit is given to you as a seal. Now, you don't actually have to do this, but the Spirit is given to you as a seal to guarantee, your guarantee, that you belong to Christ Jesus. 
and that your hope is found in eternity. This is why we stand strong. Because Jesus Christ died for us. Because he shed his blood for us. Because we were undeserving. And he did it because he loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That's John 3.16 is a beautiful piece of scripture. But it's not the only piece of scripture. I think equally as beautiful is John 3.18. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him but should not perish but have everlasting life. But verse 18 explains why. Because you've been judged already. Because you've been condemned already. But you're no longer condemned. Your faith is no longer in vain. Death has no sting. You do have hope. You do have the seal of that promise on you where before you were judged and destined for a hell and an eternity without God. This is why we this, this is why we do what we do. I had a guy ask me some time ago, I don't remember. I've been saved maybe two years. I praise God. And I don't say this to be bragging, because there's days when I gotta stoke my own fire, if you know what I mean. But I've never lost my zeal for God. From the day I got saved, I think Angela will bear testimony to this. From the day I got saved till this one, I've been ready to tear down the gates of hell. And the guy, I had a guy at the academy ask me one time, that's how long ago it was, pre-2012. He said, why are you so excited about Jesus? Or something along those lines. Why do you have to tell everybody? I was like, he gave his life for me. How dare I not give my life for him? This is the truth. All of these things that I've told you, according to the text that we're studying today, which apparently I've lost. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having put to death, having put to death in the flesh, and made us alive in the spirit. This is the truth of the gospel. This is why I'm excited. This is why I don't lose my zeal because I keep this in perspective and you know what's awesome is that's only one of the four testimonies that Jesus gives or that Peter gives of Jesus in this text the next one is is Jesus's victorious declaration this is the one that I wanted to spend the most time on was the first one because it's the most significant but I do want to talk for just a few minutes about the next three it says that in verse 19, in which he also went and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison. You know what that means? That means he gave the testimony of his victory to every demon in hell. And said, listen, I'm putting you on notice, bro. This is done. I've completed the work. You no longer have authority or power or dominion. I'm giving it to these folks. What are we doing with it? He says this in Colossians 2.15, When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, which means a public spectacle of them, which means he embarrassed them in public, having triumphed over them through him. He put them on notice. He told them, this has already been finished. And then you know what he did? He gave his testimony to us. 
He was raised from the ground. And this is what this is what the Bible says happened after that. I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 8 or 7. After all this happened, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. The last of all, I'm sorry, starting in verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of them whom remain until now. Some have fallen asleep. Then he prepared, appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he was talking about himself, he appeared to me also. So he said, listen, not only did Jesus put the enemy on notice and give them the testimony, but then he walked around and showed 500-something people that what he said was true, that you could tear this temple down if you want to, but I'm going to rebuild it in three days. And in three days, there he stood declaring that what he had told them is true. I don't know about you guys. I read this as a Somebody put it on some social media, something or other, and they meant it as a joke. But let me tell you, I've taken it to heart. Anybody that says, I'm going to die, come back in three days from now, and does it, I'm just going to believe what they say. Because as far as I know, he's the only one that's done it. God's good, amen? Mm. So he gave his testimony to the enemy. He gave his testimony to us. And then you know what he expected us to do? Give our testimony to others. I don't know what your story is, but you could insert he saved me from blank. And if he's willing to save me from blank, he's willing to save you from your blank too. And he is. Can I tell you, the most vile person I've ever physically met in my life. And I'm going to say this, and, and I don't think he would argue with me, is my pastor. Free Jesus. A murderer. He, he, he's told this, so I'm not speaking out of school. He killed a woman by almost cutting her head off in a spree, speed freak rage. Demonically possessed. Went to prison, gave his life to the Lord. You know why? Because sometime in 2006, some knucklehead from the academy that doesn't know anything and doesn't care about Jesus is going to be sitting in that seat on the day he gives his testimony, and he's going to hear it. And he's going to literally think, if he could do it for him, maybe he'd be willing to do it for me. Pastor asked me one time, he said, why you follow me? You're a police officer. Because if he did it for you, he'll do it for me. That's the truth. But you can't hold on to it. You've got to share it. His third testimony is the victory of his salvation. His victorious salvation. Now, I know we've talked about the gospel let me read something to you. This is, this is important. It, I need you to understand it because so many of us have this in, in my mind, or not in my mind, in, in regard to the truth. We have this messed up. 20 and 21. 
says, who once were disobedient, talking about who he gave his testimony to. When the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, remember I told you that's important. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. Water baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't say water baptism saves you. It says baptism saves you. What does baptism mean? Baptism means full immersion. And so in corresponding to that, corresponding to the what? Corresponding to the truth that I just told you, that the same way that he saved Noah, he will save you. The ark was a type, a revelation in the Old Testament to show us who Christ would be. That those who believed, sadly it was only eight in Noah's time, could run into him, find themselves in Christ, and be free of the destruction of sin. So in correspondence to that, if you allow yourself to be fully immersed in Christ Jesus, not for the removal of dirt, but so that you could have a clear conscience before God. Christ is the only way for a clear conscience before God. You should be saved. I want us to understand that. A baptism, water baptism, what happens in that box right there is, is a declaration of a confession of your willingness to hide within the ark that showed the truth that we are in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to think about that shadow, that type. Climbing in there. The comfort that must have been there. Knowing that God for 120 years gave him, Noah, the message of salvation. And he saved his whole family after that eight years. Sadly, nobody else listened. But it's in Christ Jesus that our salvation is found. Amen? No one else. There's no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. And then finally, his victorious position. Verse 22. Who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to him. All that stuff we talked about, the tabernacle a little while ago, the heavenly tabernacle, and God saying, come, sit here. I'm going to make your enemies a footstool. Before he left the earth, what did he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, which is indic indicative of, and I have given that authority to you. So that people, through the proclamation of the gospel, might become disciples. 
so that then you might have the authority to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and the authority to teach them all that you know. That happened because he did what he did. It has nothing to do with us except we're the benefactors of it. We have nothing to add to our salvation except for the sin that made our salvation necessary. In Christ Jesus, in his testimony, in the fact that, that his testimony of, of his work, the testimony of his declaration, the testimony of his salvation, and the testimony of his position means if Christ did it and he gave that to us, then guess what? We can do it too. Stand firm. As Peter say, Christ did it. I did it. You've done it. The people you know can do it too. But you have to tell them. Amen.